This is a podcast from Minute Media. Alright, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where where once half the Lakers team needed walkers just to get around the facility because of how geriatric they were, the Lakers now have a Skywalker and a slew of youthful legs to help them get from point A to point B. Lonnie Walker, everybody. Let's do this. Um... I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. We are officially, at this point, at the time of this recording, about two hours into the start of free agency, and the Lakers have signed four players. (laughs) That's insane. (laughs) Three of them are under the age of 28, and the last one, Juan Toscano Anderson, I think is about 29 years old. Um, The Lakers, unfortunately, had to also bid adieu to Malik Monk who will be getting the bag in Sacktown, about $10 million per year for two years, to play with his former Kentucky mate, De'Aaron Fox. So best of luck to Leak, and thank you for being one of the few bright spots of the 2021-22 season. We would have loved to have retained you, especially considering who we ended up signing for the uh, taxpayer mid-level, but we'll get into that once we get to that player, Lonnie Walker. Um, But with that said, you know, keep in mind that we are doing this in the midst of free agency. We may get some additional breaking news. Um, obviously we're burying the lead a little bit with all of the Brooklyn Nets, Kevin Durant, Kyrie talk and drama, and the fact that the Lakers are very much likely embroiled in some Kyrie Irving trade discussions right now. But until something concrete materializes to preserve the literal relevancy that this podcast episode has, we're only going to talk about the four new signings the Lakers made in the first two hours of free agency. Obviously, we may get some more breaking news signings as we go further along in this episode, so stay tuned. And uh, Tommy is joining us from the 110 Freeway in Los Angeles right now. Tommy, how you feeling? How you doing? Um, will you drive yourself off a cliff if I break that Kyrie Irving is now a Laker during this podcast? Uh, no cliffs on the 110 Freeway, so probably won't be doing that, Jonathan. Good, good point. <laughs> but I will... I don't know how I'll feel. I, I'll, I'll just have to play it by ear. Okay. Well, did you know that Lonnie Walker, Troy Brown Jr., and Juan Toscano Anderson are all clutch clients? I'm guessing you're not surprised. <laughs> I'm not surprised that they are. Um, I had seen, or I got jumped in the car that, you know, Lonnie Walker and, and uh, Troy Brown are. Um, but uh, it, it's just, it, I don't know if it's good or bad. <laughs> It is what it is. So as it stands, this is the Lakers roster at this point. We have LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Taylor Horton Tucker, Kendrick Nunn, Austin Reeves, Stanley Johnson, Max Christie, Wenyon Gabriel, asterisk Wenyon Gabriel because he's on a non-guaranteed contract and can be cut if the Lakers find some, somebody else in free agency to their liking more than Wenyon. Russell Westbrook, and then the four new signings the Lakers made at the start of free agency. 
Former ex-Laker Damian Jones, I think he's 27 years old. Lonnie Walker IV, using the full taxpayer mid-level. Damian Jones, by the way, on a two-year veteran minimum deal with a player option for the second year. Troy Brown Jr., 22 years old, going to be 23 at the start of next season. And then lastly, Juan Toscano-Anderson. He's the oldest of this group, 29 years old, famously of the Golden State Warriors. Sorry, that's 13 players. The Lakers have about two roster spots to fill, maybe three, if uh, Wenyan Gabriel is cut or waived, or there's another trade consolidating some players. But yeah, go ahead, Tommy. I was just going to say, you know, this is like a disturbing trend that is like, I don't know how many years into this we are with Polinka, but Lonnie Walker was, he had his qualifying offer rescinded like an hour before free agency started or something like two hours before free agency started. I don't know that it, you know, I don't know exactly what his market is. You know, he is recent, relatively four years ago, first round pick, like he's young. He has, you know, decent measurables. He played in pop system. He has decent upside. I'm not saying he was not necessarily worth the full 6.5. However, what exactly was the marketplace? Because the fact that we signed him for the full MLE and didn't leave a small gap there to potentially sign Max Christie into that space as well means that we can only give Max Christie a two-year deal the same. So in other words, we're going to be in the same situation potentially with Max Christie that we were with Taylor Horton Tucker and we're going to be with Austin Reeves where we were only able to give these guys two-year deals and then they're like eligible for these relatively big extensions a year earlier than they like theoretically should be, if that makes sense. And Mm -hmm. I I just like it, it, those types of things, like beyond whether or not Lonnie Walker was the right move with our cap space, these types of little details are the things that are really starting to frustrate me with, yeah. with, the, with our front office. And, you know, we hate to start off on such a negative note. I'm prom- I promise it'll get brighter. But since we're already on the topic, let's land on Lonnie Walker. Because in a vacuum, I don't think he's a bad signing. And in fact, if we had done this last year as well, I think we'd all be like, oh, hey, a young guy with potential upside, former lottery pick. I think he was the 18th pick. So right outside of the lottery in 2018 by the San Antonio Spurs, I think we would have been like, okay, some youth, some upside. We get that athletic, explosive player in the open court who can replace Malik Monk. But when you look at Lonnie Walker, he is at the end of the day still a 6'4 guard. And he is a poor approximation of Malik Monk. And so this is where I just want to talk about Monk really quickly, because I saw at the beginning of free agency just a whole slew of Lakers Nation people poo-pooing the idea that they'd even want Monk back at the $6 million mark. And I I told those people, the market sucks. If we can get Monk back at that price, and I know he ended up going for more, but just the theoretical thought of people pushing Monk to to the wayside. And then for us to go back and sign a lesser version of Monk who can't even shoot threes well, he shot 31% from three this past season, okay? Um, Last year, he shot 35% on better volume, 1.7, which is good. But he's he's not a shooter. And... The defense that he does bring, it's probably better than Monk's. I know it is. He's like yes. he's 58th percentile defensively, but that's neutral. It's like neutral value, which I guess is better than what you had with Monk. But at the same time, you're not getting the same creation abilities that Monk had. Um, you're not getting the same three-point shooting abilities that Monk had. Monk shot 47% from the field, from the field last season. Yeah. Lonnie Walker shot 40%. 
and then 31% from three. Now, I'm not trying to josh this guy because if you look at his box score, Tommy, he had some insane games from the midway point of February into March. He had a 17-point game, 21-point game, 17-point game, 23-point game, 22, 22, a 30-point game where he hit 5 of 11 from three. So this guy can fill it up, right? And then in, what, March, he had a slew of 20-point games. 20-point game with a 4 of 9 from 3. 22-point game with a 3 of 5 from 3. 8 of 12 from the field. 20-point game, 4 of 10 from 3. Those are three straight games of 20 points with, you know, high-volume three-point shooting. So it's clear this is a guy who can get hot, right? And he does have high upside and high variance. But at the end of the day, you are getting, like, a worse version of Monk. And to me, that's where the problem therein lies. So... Um, first talk about the relationship to Monk, but also if you want to try and mind meld yourself into the positives of uh, Lonnie Walker, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, all I know about Lonnie Walker is when he was drafted four years ago or whatever, he was fairly highly regarded. I remember when he was taken, do you, do you recall what pick he was? I know he wasn't Lotto. Okay. I was going to say I wasn't Lotto, but he was close. And I remember people like, really commending the pick and being like, oh, he's going to be great with pop and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he had a decent first couple of years and then sort of faded away. I think like, and, and this gets back to like conversations we've had so many times over the last couple of months, but the Lakers front office has a strong history of doing this, which is like just to the most extreme, you can reverse course from the prior year. Like, that's what they'll do when, when something doesn't work out. And so last year, the old guys didn't work out and the shooting. And so it's like this year, it was like their theory seems to be like, you know, let's go slightly bigger at every position if we can, two inches bigger. Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, let's get guys who are at least, even if they're not known as being elite defenders, are defense first minded guys. And if they can't shoot, who cares? Because we bring shooters in and they can't shoot anyway. Like that yeah. seems to be like how they, they sort of approach this. So the Monk thing, and, and I don't know why people were arguing with you so much about Monk, because the fact that he, you know, he... There were when you saw sort sort of the names and the numbers that have been flying around in early free agency. Malik Monk at ten million, based on what he did last year, was actually fairly reasonable. And to your point, if we could have kept him for six and a half million, also very reasonable because you add in the factor that we would have had his early bird rights and could have yep. kept him probably even longer term after that. So it's not just like a one off thing. It's like he has potential value for us long term. I assume what happened was you know, they sort of looked at this situation and they said, well, Monk is, and and this is, by the way, assuming that Monk would have even considered our lesser offer, but even, you know, assuming Monk would have considered our lesser offer, maybe between the two, they look at these guys and they're like, well, Lonnie's bigger. You know, Monk is a guy that theoretically, if we do make the playoffs is going to be hunted. Um, You know, Monk has more, a lot more upside and more development uh, clearly as like a individual scorer, but maybe we're for whatever reason, less focused on that this year. And we're trying to get back to our roots and with what won us the championship a couple of years ago. Um, Other than that, I can't really see a justification. I mean, I will say the one thing that disturbs me a little bit about this is, you know, I'm not saying this is necessarily something, a bad thing, but the one thing that sort of disturbs me about all of this is this makes three out of four years that Palinka has been the GM that we've used the, you know, our, ta- our uh, taxpayer mid-level exception on a guy who 
was like unexpectedly became available. Like with Avery Bradley, he got waived like the first day of free agency or whatever with uh, or the second day, you know? Well, let's not use Avery. Let's use like the, the actual mid-levels because that's the only tool. So so Montrez and Kendrick Nunn, right? So yeah, but even Montrez, it was like he kind of unexpectedly didn't get his offer that he was hoping for from the Clippers. Kendrick Nunn had his like qualifying offer uh, revoked or I can't remember the exact situation, but it was sort of the same thing. Like Kendrick Nunn became unexpectedly available like the day of free agency. And then um, uh, now you add Lonnie Walker to the mix and these are all clutch guys and that's fine. I'm, again, I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm just, I'm just thinking like you went into this free agency process theoretically with some sort of plan. Um, and where did Lonnie Walker fit into that plan? Like he was a restricted free agent, you know what I mean? As of four hours ago. So like, did you scout this guy? Like, how did you view him like kind of fitting into your team? Like you already have Austin Reeves, you already have THT, you already have Max Christie, who you just, you know, spent to get uh, in the early second round. And I'm not saying Max Christie is like a guy who can contribute, contribute right now, but you're you have your one free agent tool this year, real like good tool, and you use it on another six four guard. I mean, I'm not saying again that Lonnie Walker, for all we know, Lonnie Walker is going to have a breakout year and reach his full potential on this team with coach by Ham um, and playing with LeBron and AD. But it just, if if the rationale for this was, oh, this was a guy we had super high on our board and we didn't expect him to be available, that's fine. But I just I am starting to get a little concerned that the rationale is, well, we didn't know he was going to be available and we've heard great things about him <laughs> from right. Clutch, so we just went for it. And so that's where I, I sort of get a little disturbed. I'd rather take like the more known name. Uh, I shouldn't say known name, known commodity, because we just yes. had him in the gym this past year in Monk. Yeah, so... I do. So it'll be interesting to see what a guy like Jalen Smith ends up commanding because I talked to you, I said this to you before we started recording, but it kind of feels, and again, I'm being very presumptuous here, but it kind of feels like the Lakers jumped the gun a little bit with this Lonnie Walker signing. And instead of maybe, and I'm not saying they should have dragged their feet and waited out Jalen Smith because the way that these big men are flying off the board, Isaiah Harden signed for $8 million, Mo Bamba back to the Magic for $10 million. Maybe Jalen Smith ends up getting more than we could have afforded, right? But it's just surprising to me that when you have a coach like Darvin Ham, who's known to effectively utilize two, three big men, traditional big men sometimes, in his system that you weren't able to convince one of these younger bigs to join you. Now, I know they got Damian Jones to come in, and I'm wondering now if, and we'll get to Damian Jones in a second, I'm wondering if they promised him a starting spot, which is why he ended up committing to the veteran minimum, very likely. But it's just for me, again, we'll see what Jalen Smith gets, but if he ends up getting the same amount as Lonnie Walker, I'm going to be very disappointed. And... I, I do want to say, though, Tommy, I want to caveat everything by saying we don't know the full scope of this picture. And so yes. there could be a consolidation trade that comes where THT goes out or something like that. Maybe Kendrick Nunn, although I, I hope not. We need Kendrick Nunn. He's currently our best shooter on the team, <laughs> sadly. Yeah, which is crazy. Um, he didn't even play last year. <laughs> that's so sad. Um, so we need to keep that in mind. And also, Tommy, we need to keep in mind that Darvin Ham is in the war room with Rob Palenka, presumably... Darvin Ham gave the sign-off on Lonnie Walker. 
I do think he'll be able to use Lonnie Walker's athleticism in the open court and that explosiveness that Monk had and his ability to fill it up um, points-wise off the bench. So I guess we also can't rule out the fact that Darvin Ham will be able to utilize Lonnie Walker defensively as well because unlike Monk, Tommy, I think you'd agree Lonnie Walker is is more sturdily built than Monk, yes. uh, more well-built and stronger. So I think there's a little bit more physical clay to work with, at least defensively. Yes. Um, so, so really quickly, and I don't want to stay on Lonnie Walker for too much longer. Um, give me your positive cells on Lonnie Walker in a vacuum, considering if we zoom out of everything and there's like consolidation trades, maybe it makes more sense to have Lonnie Walker. What is, what are the things that you like? I think the last point you made is going to be the thing that I'm sort of banking on. Sorry. Can I add one more thing? Yeah, please. He has a 6'10 wingspan, so that's that's nice. For a 6'4 guard, that's kind of insane, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, yeah, he's a two, and, you know, maybe you could say Troy Brown and Toscano Anderson are more threes. And so, like, if you're going to play this sort of system where, again, I, I love Monk, but part of the problem with our roster last season was, and we talked about this a little bit before we got on, but we we were, like, signing exclusively 6'2", 6'3 guards. And that hurt us because it was like, it was like we had a bunch of midgets running around out there. Right. And so at least Lonnie Walker gives us more size. He, he is more sturdy. He's stronger. He's got the six ten wingspan. You can play him all over the perimeter. Is he a little bit undersized to guard wings? Yes. But so is KCP. And, you know, we kind of made that work. And I think Lonnie Walker actually, from what I recall, right, and I just said I, I haven't followed him super, super closely, but from what I recall, he plays a little bit bigger than he is. Um, and so I, I that's the one thing. If, if this improves us on the perimeter defensively because we were so, so poor in that respect last year, then I guess I'm, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, and I tweeted out earlier this morning when Malik Monk was reported to have pretty much already committed to the Sacramento Kings that we needed to find a way to reinfuse this team with that same athletic explosiveness that Monk had. And Lonnie Walker is a very easy way to do that. So we'll see what happens. I think the last thing, and I hate to end on, again, a negative note, but Tommy, let's say Lonnie Walker does ball out this year. It's going to be hard to retain this guy again. You know, maybe if we had signed him to two years fully guaranteed, then we can say we finally have team control over somebody, right? We finally at least have his early bird rights, but we're doing this thing again where it's like a revolving door of dudes. And in the best case scenario, look, the Lakers might have cap space next year, but in the best case scenario, you're going to reserve, what, $10 million for Lonnie Walker because he balled out for you? Yeah. I don't know, man. It's I just like I, the, I will say the one thing about Lonnie Walker is that since we did sign him for the full 6.5 MLE, you know, his we could keep him for the raise on that, which is like closer to probably around seven or whatever. So, you know, then we kind of have two taxpayer MLEs next year, depending on what moves we make, you know, with Russ, I guess, moving forward. But it it's not like he's necessarily a one-year asset only, but I, I get this year sentiment. Yeah, so before we take it to break, what would you give your grade for the Lonnie Walker signing? In a vacuum, I'll say... I'll say knowing what we know right now, I give it a C minus. What about you? I was, okay. I was going to say C. Okay. 
That's fair. And you know, it, it may, this again, this is not to say that Lonnie Walker won't work out. I freaking hope he works out and I hope he balls out like Monk did. It just, sort of depends on it, yeah. Yeah, but like respective to the context that the Lakers are working with, again, it goes back to asset allocation and, and, and everything like that. It has us feeling lukewarm that we went this route. But again, Lonnie Walker, good upside, good athleticism. He's very young still, I think 23, 24 years old, right? So at least that's something to look forward to. And he should be exciting playing up and down with LeBron James. All right, let's take it to break. When we return, let's get to Damian Jones, Troy Brown Jr., and Juan Toscano-Anderson, JTA, baby. We'll catch you guys after the turn. All right, so we're back. Tommy, let's get a little bit more lit because we finally got a DJ that we want. After DeAndre Jordan and DJ Augustine, for some godforsaken reason, we got Damian Jones back, a former 10-day signing that we probably should never have let go, but somehow we got him back on the minimum. And for that, I actually commend them because, now look, I had always kind of had Damian Jones as a potential minimum guy, but seeing the contracts these guys were getting and how he actually played with the Sacramento Kings, I would not have been surprised if he had taken a deal that was worth $3 $3 million or even the biannual exception because of how young he is, because of how athletic he is. And let me just read off to you some numbers of his with the Sacramento Kings last year. He was great, yeah. So in April, this dude averaged 30 minutes and averaged 17.4 points, 7.4, 7.4 rebounds, two assists, and he shot, he even made two threes in that time span. Wait, um, what the? Yeah, so in March, in 11 games, he averaged 24, 24 minutes, 10.7 points, 5.1 rebounds, 1.5 assists, shooting 67% from the field. He shot 71% in April. In total for the season, um, he averaged 18 minutes, 8 points, 4.4 rebounds, 1.2 assists on 66% from the field. He also shot 72% from the free throw line, with, which is great. And also, here's the kicker, Tommy. He shot 34% from three, hitting 10 threes. 10 of 29 from three. He's the stretch big we've been waiting for. Wait, wait, wait. Are you sure you pulled up, you pulled yes, up the yes, right Yes, stats. yes, yes, he, yes. So the Sacramento Kings started letting him shoot threes more. So I guess he's he's uh, last year's version of Dwight Howard. Because I believe Dwight Howard, well, how, how many threes did he hit last year? He hit at least eight. I'm just looking this up really quickly. Yes, so Dwight Howard shot 53%, so he's no Dwight Howard, all I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) 8 of 15 from 3 from from Dwight Howard. But look, encouraging stuff that Damian Jones is starting to extend his game a little bit. I don't know how much we should read into that, but just the fact that he shot 10 of 29 from 3 and sort of had this breakout season with Sacramento. And as I was perusing Twitter, a lot of Sacramento Kings fans were actually very disappointed that Damian Jones is leaving them, you know? So what are your thoughts on the return of Damian Jones? I'm almost inclined to say that the Lakers soft promised him a starting spot, um, or at the very least said, you're likely going to get 22 minutes a game. You know what I'm saying? So I'm very excited in getting the athleticism back and the long wingspan that Damian Jones provides. He's like a legit seven foot. And yeah, I mean, he makes us more dynamic up and down. And I think this is a guy that, Darvin Ham can really utilize just because he's active, he's mobile, he can move his feet laterally, but most of all, he can block shots, and he's a skybound aerial threat on both ends of the court. So I'm I'm very excited to see what a full season 
with Damian Jones looks like under Phil Handy, under Darvin Ham's development. So your thoughts on the veteran minimum signing of Damian Jones, the return? I thought it was great. I, you know, if you listen to us over the last couple of years, from the moment we got rid of Damian and, and replaced him with Andre Drummond, and we sort of saw the direct contrast that, that season, you know, a couple seasons ago, I've always wanted Damian back on the team. He has his flaws, and he's sort of a frustrating player in a way because he's so gifted athletically um, and, like, physically with his height and his explosiveness that, like, you just sort of you feel like he should be better than he is, but he's, you know, he's still learning. He's a young player, tons of, you know, I don't, I wouldn't say tons of upside, but there's room to kind of smooth out the rough edges for sure. He's not like the player he will forever be at this stage in his career. And it's it sort of, again, it, it comes back to the ridiculousness of this front office because he was a player that like, they should have been targeting last year, right? Like, the, the, like their whole thing when they got uh, when they got Russ was we're gonna run we're gonna play with LeBron we're gonna you know Russ and LeBron we're gonna be crazy like crazy frenetic pace and then they signed a bunch of like forty year old guys. Sorry, can I interject though? They they couldn't do that last year though because the year prior Sacramento are he was him under up contract. The, yeah, he was so. he was he was but. I feel like he's a guy that you could get for like a future second. You know, you could figure out. But, but I mean, yeah, exactly. But I mean, that's what you get for not retaining him in the first place. But let's get, let's just get to the positives of what he brings. Yeah, he brings a ton of athleticism. He brings weak side shot blocking. He brings, you know, uh, ability to run the floor. And again, a guy that you don't have to draw plays for. He's just going to sort of be around and like, you know, his 10 points per game with the Kings in March that you were going over. Like that wasn't him you know, posting up. That was just him being on the court and finding the ball and just dunking it. So that those are the types of guys that we need on this roster. And for the minimum contract, I, I don't think you could do much better for a big man in this market. Like, I don't know that we promised him a starting role, but to your point, I think we probably did promise him like at least 20 minutes or some, some sort of soft promise in, in, in that space. Yeah, do you want to hear some of his individual stat or individual game log numbers during that March April stretch? Check this out. 24 points on 9 of 13 from the field, 9 rebounds, 4 blocks, 1 steal and 5 assists. Where did that come from? <laughs> so that is an amazing stat line and then the game after that, 17 points, 17 rebounds, 6 blocks. Seven of nine from the field. That's incredible. And then he had a 22-point game on eight of ten shooting, one of one from three-point land. 19 points to close the season, six rebounds, three assists, two blocks, eight of nine from the field. This guy is strictly in the flow of the offense, Tommy. Cleaning up, getting lobs, knowing his role, and then somehow adding in some playmaking here and there, getting these block shots. Like, everything about it I I love. So great value signing. What... What grade would you give the Lakers for this signing? I'd give them an A, given the value. I'd give them an A+. plus. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to Troy Brown Jr. Now, if you've listened to this podcast long enough, all the way back in, I feel like I was saying his name back in April, this is a prospect that I really liked for his Swiss Army Knife versatility. Um, he is a middling three-point shooter, but definitely not a broken three-point shooter. I mean, he's a career um, 33 three-point shooter. He shot 35% last year. Um, His best season with 
the his best season came with the Washington Wizards. He's obviously a former first round pick. He was the let's see, twelfth pick of the Washington Wizards in 2017. His best season came with the Wizards, his age 20 season. Uh, in 2019-20, he averaged 10 points, 5.6 rebounds, 2.6 assists, 1.2 steals, 34% from three, hitting one a game, 78% from the free throw line. So that is kind of a microcosm of the little things that Troy Brown Jr. can do across the board. He can give you scoring, rebounding, assisting, stealing the ball. He has a six foot ten wingspan. I think he's the tallest out of this group of free agents that we signed along with Juan Toscano Anderson at 6'6". Now, he had a very underwhelming year with the Chicago Bulls last season. He only averaged 16 minutes, uh, 4 points, 3 rebounds, 1 assist. But even with the Bulls, he did have some, he did flash some upside as well. Um, I remember his last game is also a good snapshot of what he can do. Let me just pull it up really quickly. One second. So his last game of the season with the Bulls, he had 17 points, 11 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals, 2 threes. So that is kind of Troy Brown Jr. in a nutshell. Uh, sprinklings of everything everywhere, not excellent or consistent in any one thing. But if there's one thing that I, that I could say he can hang his hat on, it's being able to play make, handle the ball, and also have some defensive upside with his long arms. Um I've described him as like an Evan Turner type player, maybe with a slightly better athleticism. That probably won't excite people, but for what the Lakers need, youth, athleticism, some high basketball IQ playmaking, I really like the Troy Brown Jr. signing, especially because he's only 22, going to be 23 next season. You're getting him on the veteran minimum. It's kind of a no-lose situation. So your thoughts on Troy Brown Jr.? I like the move again. I, you know, he's another one of these guys who you, you sort of put in the bucket of why weren't we, why weren't we pursuing this type of guy last year? But he, I, I, you know, again, a lot, a lot, my big concern with some of these guys is the three point shooting, but the versatility that, you know, fact that we have all these guys now who are like in the six, six range, long arms who we could just plug and play and, you know, throw in with different looks and, you know, you can go with like all six, six guys in your lineup with AD. And those are looks that you can't necessarily, a lot of teams can't necessarily give. And, and so I, as a versatility signing as a, uh, for the value at the vet minimum, um, the fact that he has, you know, the wingspan and defensive mindset and, you know, has potential to hit some shots. Like these are the types of players that, I'm excited to see us going after with the veteran minimum. I was, you know, we were joking yesterday about how depressing it's going to be when free agency hits. And, you know, the first three names we hear are like Blake Griffin, Carmelo Anthony and Dwight Howard sign you know, with the Lakers. And and yeah. to get guys like Troy Brown, it's like, OK, you know, you, you've been making this point all summer. But these money ball type signings, I sort of put him in this bucket, you know, like he's not a guy that's necessarily uh super well-known and he's definitely flying under the radar a bit, but you much rather take a shot on a guy like this than a guy like Wayne Ellington, which were like the, not that Wayne is a bad player, but like that, those were the types of moves we were making last year for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And um, yeah, so I think I'd give this, the grade for this signing would also would be like an A, A minus. What about you? Yeah, I'd give it an A for sure. Let's move on to the last signing of the day so far. Juan Toscano Anderson, he is the eldest of this group, oldest of this group, 29 years old. 
uh, six foot six with a six foot ten wingspan as well. So pretty good size. So Juan Toscano Anderson wasn't on my radar just because he's kind of to me an underwhelming pick. Yeah, I think he's serviceable. If you watch his tape though, Tommy, I think you're going to be surprised by how sturdy and strong he is, how athletic he is actually. He is, let me be clear about this, he's not what you'd call a three-point shooter. Yeah. Um, he does not shoot at a high volume whatsoever. He only attempted 1.2 last year, shooting 32%. He shot 40% the season prior, but that was on 1.7 attempts, only hitting 0.7 a game. But he um, played a lot more that year, right? He, he played a lot more that year. He can play make a little bit. I mean, his calling card, right, is defense. And if anybody remembers, he was giving LeBron James some crap. And I think a year or two ago, and LeBron James actually appreciated the uh, the mano a mano type grit and hustle that Juan Toscano Anderson was bringing to the court. So I really like that. I think he'll fit Darvin Ham's system well and the types of players that Darvin Ham likes to mold well. Um, I just think out of a lot of these signings, he's kind of more like... I don't see a lot of upside with Juan Toscano-Anderson, but I like the floor. I'm just concerned out of any of the other prospects at his three-point shooting spacing abilities. But if he can bring the hustle, if he can bring the strength, um, I think that'll work on this team and he can probably guard. You know, the way he was roughing up LeBron James a little bit, even bigger wings, That's that'll probably be his assignment. And I think the good part is, Tommy... If you could make like a direct comparison to someone who the Lakers signed last year, you'd probably like kind of look at Kent Bazemore. I think what Juan Toscano Anderson brings that Bazemore doesn't is less erraticness and just the stability who, of a player who knows his role. I will say though, with any of this go- any of these Golden State Warriors players, you do have to put a little grain of salt on them just because they're coming from a system where their roles were so perfectly defined for them. Spacing was perfect. Not a lot of was put on their plate, not a lot of expectation. And on this Lakers team, there may be a larger burden of weight put on Juan Toscano Anderson that he can't uphold. You know what I mean? Especially if you don't have like the defensive players around you either. Like, God forbid Juan Toscano Anderson is our best perimeter defender right now. You know, is he going to be able to uphold that? So, I mean, those are some things to keep in mind. But in terms of the signing it, in and it of itself, like, I can get behind that. I think I would have maybe still, it depends, uh, based off of what other signings come, who who else is coming in. But I don't know. I think I, I would have liked the Josh Okogie a little bit more, although Josh Okogie's undersized. But Juan Descondo Anderson, at least, is that same template of, here's your wing defender. So your thoughts on JTA? Yeah, to your point about the Warriors, by the way, I mean, Laker fans are probably familiar with this concept because it was like the same idea with when we were running the triangle with Phil and we would have these Devin George would get this absurd contract and, like you know, left the team and then like basically wasn't in the NBA after like a year, you know, so it was like there there is some there's definitely some weight to that. I, I agree with you on the underwhelming point. The main reason I say that is because although this team had like a lot of holes, we we made a lot of signings. Okay. We we've, you know, we, first of all, a couple days ago, we picked up the options on both Stanley and Wenyon. And I know Wenyon's still non-guaranteed, but we, we did pick up those options. We did trade into the draft to get a high second rounder in Max Christie, who's obviously going to get a roster spot. Um, otherwise we wouldn't have traded to get that pick. 
And when you start thinking about it, it's like, okay, I guess now we have like, we have two point guards. We only have one center and we're down to like three roster spots. Um, so to commit this early to Juan Toscano Anderson <laughs> on the first day of free agency, like this is a guy who's going to be floating around for a few days. And it gets me back to my clutch point. Like maybe you end up here anyway, but it, it's a process thing for me. Like, did we net was want was Juan Toscano Anderson really one of our top guys that we had on our board of like, yeah, it'd be great to get him in free agency. If the answer is no, which I suspected should, or at least should be, how is he a first day signing? Like, it's not even about a money thing. Cause if he got a veteran, veteran minimum contract, but like we use a, the, like our roster spots are valuable because we have no idea which one of these guys is going to pan out and be able to play for us. I mean, we're, we're, we're looking at the most with the most optimistic uh, lens that we could sort of have right now, but we don't know like what the, uh, what the answer is going to be. And um, whether Troy Brown is going to be able to be a serviceable player, for example. And so it's just weird. The, 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 that whole thing is is weird to me. But, you know, thinking about him as a prospect or like as a player for a rotation player for us, I guess, like you said, he's got the defensive potential. But again, inconsistent shooter to the extent he had that good shooting. It was with the Warriors where everybody's three point shooting percentage goes up like 10 percent, it seems like. And and so it's just I, I don't know. I don't really know what to make of this one. You know, since we're doing the grades, I guess I would put this one in the C like category. Like I will, you know, see as and we'll also see what happens because I have <laughs> no idea what this guy's going to bring. I think I'll give it a little bit higher. I'd say B minus just because at the very least, you know that he contributes or he can contribute to high level playoff basketball and can defend in a pinch for you. You can sick him on a primary ball handler or a bigger wing, etc. It's just to your point, I'm very worried about now the shooting again of this roster. We're back in the same sort of scenario that we typically find ourselves in where it's just so funny to me that we were poo-pooing guys like Malik Monk when he's the one Laker in our history expansive history who comes in wears the Lakers jersey doesn't even get the benefit of playing a full season with LeBron James and Anthony Davis and still shoots 39% from three hitting two a game and we're just like all right see you later Monk I I don't think we realize how hard it is to replace that type of shooting you know what I mean yeah and it's almost like are we just are we gonna sign Bryn Forbes because we're so starved of three-point shooting to close this roster out yeah you know so I mean okay so Really quickly, with the last two minutes of this episode, I think the Lakers have two spots left. It may be three, depending on if they, you know, again, waive Wenyan Gabriel's non-guaranteed contract. Um, Could be more if there's some consolidation going out in a trade, because Dave McMenamin just reported that the Kyrie Irving is the Lakers' number one trade target. Surprise, surprise. Um, Again, we'll get to more thoughts on Kyrie once something materializes, but for now... Do you have any other targets that you'd like the Lakers to go after? I, I do think they eventually need a veteran on their bench here right now because this is way too overcourse corrected the other way. I do think you can hedge the middle a little bit with some older veterans who aren't like past 30. But I guess for me, I really wanted PJ Dozier, but he sort of fits the mold of Troy Brown Jr. and um, Juan Toscano Anderson kind of. So I, I'm kind of dubious as to whether we'll do another one of those guys, although I wouldn't 
be mad about it because P.J. Dozier is like the more proven Troy Brown Jr., um, especially when he played a pivotal role with the Denver Nuggets in the playoffs. He's also 6'6", with a 6'10 wingspan, can handle the ball, can play defense. You kind of know his pedigree if he can bounce back from his ACL injury, which, you know, it's been reported he's ready to play, ready for summer camp, uh, or at least training camp. Um, But my two targets, Tommy, this is not a meme, this is not a joke anymore. We need to get some versatile guys who are 6'8 or 6'9". Yeah, like some guys who preferably can shoot. And to me, that's Juancho Hernan Gomez, who got waived by the Utah Jazz. And <laughs> yeah. that's, it's Utah Watanabe. You can laugh at me all you want, but if we can get those versatile players who can go in and out of the paint in a four-out, one-in system, space the floor for you, can provide also that defensive hustle, those two guys, as opposed to the middling 6-6 guys that we just signed, those two guys can actually rebound, they can hustle, but they can also shoot the three. So if we can get one or two of those guys, I'd be very happy. And then round it out with, you know, get a spacing big. If you can convince like a Thomas Bryant or a Serge Ibaka or DeMarcus Cousins to come for the veteran minimum, I think that'll be solid enough. But what are your thoughts? So I actually don't disagree at all. I, I, I think it's funny uh, the, with the Wancho Hernan Gomez stuff just because of the, the Netflix movie. But yeah, I, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But he's actually a good player. And both of those guys are, you know, a solid player. But both of those guys fill very obvious positions of need. I mean, beyond being 6'9 guys, I mean, Yuta Watanabe fills that 6'9 with length and potential upside and still young sort of gap that we have. And then Wancho also like 6'9-ish, but he plays more like he's a bigger, he plays bigger, I feel mm-hmm. like. Utah's more more of a, a wing. I think we would both agree, right? And then like Wancho, I think, can play more four or five. So Tommy, the both of them kind of are like Kuzma molds, right? And so that's what excites me about them, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, they both are 6'9"-ish guys with good length and athleticism, and I would welcome both. I think, like you said, you know, we're down to, or like we both said, I guess, we're down to, like, the final couple spots. So we need to make sure that we're, like, using these on, like, actual positions of, um, you know, need. And we can't start the season again with three guys on the team that are over 6'8". Or whatever you know i know we picked up stanley last year i know we you know still kind of are deciding on when yin but we need a couple more of these guys you know and and so give us an option and figure out who's going to make the rotation i mean it's and by the way wancho can shoot a little bit i don't know you probably know you just uh shooting numbers a little bit better than i do but he, he can shoot but you know he has he has only had limited minutes in a limited role so that's the sort of thing where you have to project out the way that I projected out Isaiah Hardenstein breaking out once he had a role in minutes right because every time Utah has had minutes he's produced in those minutes they just have been hard to come by based off of his context and situation so yeah and and so and Wancho has shown that he can shoot so you know both of these guys I think you sign you sign both and you figure out you know the rest it's just you, you sort of figure out between the two of these, which one's going to pan out. And so I just, we can't, all I'm going to say over and over and over is like, you look across the street at the Clippers and they've got like seven guys who were six, nine and above or six, eight and above. Let's call it. Mm-hmm. And we are sitting here with like LeBron and AD still. And yes, like we maybe, need, and maybe Stanley on a good day, you know, and, yeah. and I, you know, Damien, I'm not even counting. Cause he's, he's, He's not he's not a versatile player like he's he's a five in in today's NBA. So um, we need like 
these more of these six nine wings. We didn't really draft any. I know we have Cole Swider on the two way. He doesn't play defense. Like we need some guys who have been in the league and can fill that role. Yes, I agree with you. So please bring in the six nine guys. Sixty nine, sixty nine, Utah and Huancho. Let's go. Uh, cruise control, cruise missile, the boa challenge. Let's do it. All right, we'll cut it here for fear that this episode gets obsolete by the time I edit and, and pump this out. We will have an immediate reaction episode probably tomorrow um, based off of what happens between now and then and whether the Lakers are able to pull off a Russell Westbrook trade and who else they sign on the back end of the roster. But for now, how would you, how like give me one word to describe this first day of Lakers free agency signings up until this point because I'll just say it's solid understanding that there are more moves to come and we don't know the full extent of the picture. And this is a low bar to clear, but compared to what we did last season, somewhat refreshing. But the the verdict is still out. Jury is still out for me. What about you? I think I'm going to steal your word you just used right there because I was going to say something similar, which is refreshing. Um, given how they sort of did last year. And, and by the way, I'm not going to like pretend like we weren't super optimistic the first day last year too, but um, you know, at least there is a trend. I think the one concern I have is I don't know that Lonnie Walker is going to pan out and we, you know, with the value given maybe some other options that we might've had um, with that, with that dollar amount, but we at least have like very clearly realized that we actually don't need a bunch of, ball handler guys and, and, you know, old veterans who can shoot. We, we need, if we're going to run with this three-star system, whether the three stars are LeBron, AD and Russ or LeBron, AD, Kyrie, whoever it ends up being, we're going to have three stars in some fashion. It sounds like, right. So, you know, if we're going to do that, we need to surround these guys with guys who are going to play, uh, play hard. And we've added some of those guys now. Yeah, I agree with you. Last question, not to elongate this episode longer than it needs to, but knowing what we know now, we still don't know what Gary Payton II is going to go for or how much he's going to get with uh, the Golden State Warriors if he returns. But in a vacuum, would you rather have Gary Payton II, a 29-year-old Gary Payton II on that tax pyramid level or Lonnie Walker? I would probably have Lonnie Walker just for the upside. You know, I think so too. And just taking into account the shooting, right? And you just have to hope and project out that Darvin Ham can do something with Lonnie Walker's, you know, athletic physique right so we'll see um with that said we'll cut it here and um good luck to the lakers in the rest of free agency and for now solid start so with that said tommy i will let you go peace see ya